Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, we've been talking about our purpose. What on earth are we here for? And we actually began in Acts chapter 5, in verse 42. It says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Every day, but in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, the temple courts, that's where they had their large group worship and teaching. But then it was in the, the house to house that they had the small group fellowship. Jesus' strategy when he came literally to change the world was get a small group. Got 12 guys together with. He's close to them. He's teaching them. He's sharing with them. Uh, it's easy to hide in a large group setting, right? But it's not easy in a small group. You're noticed, you're reached out to, you're cared for, you're prayed for, you're, support, you're supported, and it's really a part of the, the discipleship process. Studies show that believers, specifically new believers who get in a small group, they're five times more likely to be serving God and be participating in the church five years later. It's just a part of discipleship. And, and discipleship needs to be intentional. Again, when Jesus wanted to change the world, he did not start a political party. He didn't have a campaign, some advertising. He didn't begin a global network. He didn't begin a powerful army. What he did was he started a small group. And when God, throughout history, has, has used small groups to change not just people's lives, but to change society. Right? So we've got our, our large group worship and teaching, but there's small group fellowship where there's relationship, where you're cared for, where there's transparency, where your name is known. Now in Mark, Jesus makes this astounding statement in the eighth chapter of Mark. He said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses or forfeits his soul. Now think about that. Jesus is saying if you had all the gold, silver, real estate, all the stuff in the whole world, but you exchanged it for your soul, it's a bad deal. Because your soul is worth more than all the real estate, all the gold, all the silver, than anything and everything that the world could offer a person. Because everything in this world is temporary, but you're immortal. To be immortal means that you have a beginning, but you will never have an ending. You are going to live someplace forever and ever. God said this. He said, I'm your creator, and you were in my care even before you were born. It's in Psalms 139 that God says that he forms our parts when we're in the womb. God is caring for you even before you're born. And in Ephesians 1, it says, long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, and he settled on us as the focus of his love. Think about that. Before God created this universe, he had settled on us as the focus of his love. Now, they tell us today with, with the Hubble telescope that for every single person on planet earth, they know for sure there's over 5 million stars for every person. But in this vast universe, 
the focus of God's love and the focus of God's attention is people. You're the focus of his love. Jesus told us that God has numbered the hairs of your head. And I used to just think that meant he knew how many I had and was counting every day as I was losing them. <laughs> but it actually, if you, you read what he said, he actually said that he has every one of them numbered. He doesn't just know how many they are. He knows which one has which number. And when I lose hair, 3,436, 3, if I have that many left, if I lose it, God knows. Right? He cares everything about you. In fact, so much that he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world. And, and literally, if you were the only person, God would have done this. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He so loved that he gave his son. Every parent knows this. You would die before you would let your child die. Every parent knows that. And God showed his great love right, in that he sent his son to die for us. Right? Now, we all want our life to count for something, but God wants your life to count for something. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And in spite of all of his wisdom, there was this time in his life when he got off track. And he, he, he spent, he, he put his focus on temporal things. And when he got back on track, this is what he wrote. He said, a life devoted to things is a dead life. Now, it's important you remember who wrote this. He wasn't just the wisest man that ever lived. He was the richest man. Right? He was the richest guy. He, you name the stuff, he had it. Right? In fact, the Bible said that he would, he would send ships away and uh, they'd bring back the peculiar treasures of kings. Now, what does a king want that nobody, maybe an original painting? And, and they brought him back apes and peacocks because nobody in his neighborhood had any. Right? He, he had everything that nobody else had. But he said, all this life devoted to these things, he said, it's a dead life, a stump. He said, but a God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. He said, don't focus on the temporary things. He said, focus on things that are going to last. Right? In Colossians 1, it says, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. We talked about this, how so many people, they try to find a purpose for their life, but they start with themselves. You see, but this world didn't start with you. That's why it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. And if you want to find purpose, you have to go back to the creator. You have to go back to the beginning. And everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. You know, if, if your purpose is accumulation or having fun, entertainment, hobbies, success, whatever it is, you're missing it, right? Because you're going to find your purpose in him. You had your beginning in him, and it's in him that you'll find your purpose. Ephesians 1.11. It is, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It's in him we find out who we are and what we're living for. I, I read about a seminar, a very popular seminar here in the States. And you go to the seminar, and they actually tell you there's no purpose to life, but you need to invent one. You need to find out your purpose, just decide what your purpose is, and then don't ask any questions and pursue it with every bit of your being because if you start asking questions, you'll get depressed. 
Well, when you start with yourself, you're never going to know what your purpose is. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Listen, fish were made to swim. Eagles were made to fly. And you and I were created to have a relationship with God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, you're like a fish that's out of water or a bird, an eagle that cannot fly or doesn't fly because you're missing your purpose. You were created for relationship with God. Now, we've been looking in the last couple of weeks at five purposes. In fact, the five purposes that God has for us. We know that God loves us, but our first purpose is to love God back. And we simply call that worship. Right? And worship is so much more than just singing or clapping or lifting your hands. It's in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 where it says it like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You know, a lot of people just look at their life like, you know, it's just, it's just the same thing. You know, it's just my ordinary life. I just live an ordinary life. Your voice says, it takes your, it take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walk around life. And place it before God as an offering. In other words, do everything that you do to please God. In the New Testament, it says, do everything that you do for the glory of God. In fact, when you do that, the Bible calls it, that same verse, different translation, calls it spiritual worship. It's worship when you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping life, your eating, your going to work, your walking around, and you place it before God as an offering. You do it for the glory of God. You do it as a representative of God. When people see you at work, they see how God wants a person to be at work. You know, the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. He's not supposed to be the only one that walks with God. As believers, we're supposed to walk with God. In Psalms 147, it says, But he takes pleasure in those who honor him, in those who trust in his constant or his covenant love. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Now, you and I wouldn't say that. that literally, this is, this is in our lingo 21st century, what's the purpose of life? What's the number one thing that I need to do with my life? Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Love God, worship God. And remember, it's not just about clapping or lifting your hands or singing. And really, we can kind of say it like this. There's two parts to Christianity. There's what you believe and there's what you do. James 2 says this, you can now see that we please God by what we do and not only by what we believe. A lot of people who call themselves Christians think that Christianity only has to do with what you believe. But it doesn't just have to do with what you believe. It has to do with what you do with what you believe. Now, our second purpose is fellowship. You are created for relationship. The Bible says Christ makes us one body, connected to each other. 
Romans 12 says it this way. In the same way, even though we are many individuals, Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. Now, one of the, the, the biggest misconceptions about Christianity, and this is particularly true in Western culture, right, is that we believe that it's really only been true for the last 250, 300 years. But we have the idea that Christianity is simply about a relationship that you have with God. That it's just all about you and God. Now, if, if Peter, the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Paul were here, and, and you said to the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, you said, they said, what's Christianity? And you said, well, Christianity is when I repent of my sins and I receive Jesus, and it's about my relationship with God through Jesus. If you said that to them, let me tell you what they'd say. I don't know what that is, but that's not Christianity. Now, you might think that it is, but it's not, all right? Because just as much about your relationship with God, Christianity is about your relationship with other people, particularly believers. The Bible says he puts you into one body, right? And if you think you can be a Christian all by yourself alone, let me just tell you, you're deceived, you're disobedient, and you're missing your purpose. God doesn't have any lone rangers. And, and I've said this before, but you know, if you think that, well, just realize this, you cannot possibly fulfill what the Bible tells you to do in all of the one another's. The Bible says that believers are to be devoted to one another, to give preference to one another, to be of the same mind with one another, to accept one another without holding judgment, to accept one another showing deference, to esteem, regard one another highly in love, to build up one another, to counsel one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be gentle to one another, to be kind to one another so as to preserve unity, to speak the truth to one another, to submit to one another, to show compassion to one another, to bear the inherent sinfulness of one another, to forgive one another, to use spirit-filled words and saturated music to teach and admonish one another, to comfort one another with the hope of Christ's return, to encourage one another, to live at peace with one another, to seek the good of one another, to encourage one another not to forsake, to, to, excuse me, to forsake unbelief and hardness of heart, to stimulate one another to spiritual growth, to encourage one another to be faithful in participation in the local church, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another's spiritual and physical healing, to be long-suffering and patient towards one another, to be hospitable to one another, to serve one another, to have acts of humility towards one another, to show a holy affection to one another, to participate in the holy walk with one another, to refuse to become resentful towards one another, to give sacrificially to meet one another's needs, to fight fear together by growing in love, to walk in truth together, to not forsake the assembling of the brethren together. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray our Father. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get us off this thing that it's just about one person, me, and God. All right? We're a community of believers. We're a body of believers. So we're to be joined together. We're to go together. We're to be built together. We're to be members together. We're to be heirs together. We're to be held together. And we're to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Christianity is not supposed to be something you do alone. It's supposed to be something we do together. Right? 
It's about one another. It's not just about the individual. 1 Timothy 3.15, God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. The third purpose that we talked about is discipleship, which really means growing in Jesus, becoming more and more like him. Now, when Jesus arose from the dead, he gave three commandments to the church. Did you know that? Three different commandments. The first one, I think we've all heard and recognized as a commandment from the Lord. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That was the first commandment that he gave. The second commandment that he gave was go, for there, go therefore and make disciples. Go and make what? Disciples. Not just what we would call Christians, but disciples. And then he mentions the first thing a disciple should do, baptizing them in the name. Now, that's the first thing a disciple is supposed to do. Now, by the way, again, if you're, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized in water since you believe, get online, get signed up. Next weekend, you're going to get baptized. Right? That's what Jesus said. If you're going to be a disciple, the first thing that you do is you get baptized in water. Now, Jesus didn't say go and just get people saved. Didn't say go make them Christians. He said make them disciples. You see, it's amazing how many people just want fire insurance. They just want to know they're not going to burn when they die. And they want to live a selfish, self-absorbed, self-focused, patsy, soft, worldly life. That's not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus is after. He's after disciples, literally disciplined ones. Jesus said that a disciple fully taught will be like his teacher. You know, we are supposed to become like Jesus, right? Again, two parts to our salvation. There's God's part. You receive Jesus. He makes you new on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God makes you new on the inside. In your spirit, he makes you new. But most of our problems are in between our ears. You know, we've got stinking thinking. So there's a second part, and this is the part that we do, and it's Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. You're to be in it, but not of it. But be transformed, and, and literally we get our, the, the, the Greek word here, we get our word metamorphosis from it. You know, you get a caterpillar, goes into a, a cocoon, and there's a metamorphosis, and it comes out a butterfly. Let there be a met, be transformed. Let there be a metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind or by changing the way that you think. Right? Change the way you think. Now, constantly, our society is bombarding us, right? Through all sorts of media, advertisement, friends, school, culture. It's bombarding. But the Bible says, "Don't be like the culture that you're in." It says, "Be transformed." The church is always to be and has been countercultural. So we need to change how we think. Now, when you pick up a book, you read the thoughts of the person that wrote the book. But when you pick up your Bible and read your Bible, you're not reading the thoughts of Peter, James, and John. You're reading the thoughts of God because your Bible is God 
breathe. Right? So first of all, I want to say it's important to read your Bible. But at the same time, I want to say that it's not enough to read your Bible. In Ezra chapter, excuse me, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have Ezra. He gets all the people together, and it says, both men and women, everyone capable of understanding. So somebody said, why do you have children's church? Why don't my kids sit with me in church? Because we want to get them at their level. Even Ezra, he didn't have everybody came. He just said, if you're capable of understanding, then come. And the Bible says he opens the Bible from early dawn until noon. He's reading them the Bible. All right? He just reads public reading of Scripture. And then it says that they translated from the book of God so the people could understand it and explained or applied the reading. All right? Now, reading is good, but if you don't really understand and apply which you read, it doesn't do any good. That's why the Bible says, for example, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Right? Now, what does it mean to meditate? It Literally, we can say it, it, you come at it from the north, the south, the east, and the west, from above and below, and you squeeze it and you squeeze it until you get all of the good out of it, all the juice out. It literally means you look at that verse and you find how to apply that verse to your life, right? So, so I'm, I'm reading a verse, and, and, and I'm meditating on that verse, and I think, well, how does it affect how I treat Jeannie? How does it affect how I treat my kids? How does it affect how I relate to my staff, to my friends? How does it affect the way I drive? Does, 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 does God care how you drive? Well, the Holy Spirit will talk to you about how you drive, right? Yeah, how, do, how, does, how does that, you know, being good to my neighbor, how does that affect how I drive, all right? And how does it make me take my cart back at Costco? <laughs> if you're not, it needs to be applied to your life, all right? It's not enough just to hear it. You've got to meditate on it and apply it to your life. Jesus said, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue or power and knowledge that comes back to you. It's not just enough to read it. There's got to be the thought, the study, the meditation. And again, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. That you may observe to do. Just reading is not enough. We've got to meditate and we've got to apply it to our life. You know, if we're not doing it, it's not changing us. All right. Our fourth purpose we, we looked at was we were created for good works. We were created in Christ for service. Ephesians 2, in the long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. He planned for us to spend our lives helping others. The Amplified Translation says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, which simply means planned beforehand, taking paths that he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. All right. Now, notice that God has paths for you to take, 
and God has already prepared good works for you to do. His plan is that we spend our lives as Christians, as his representatives, showing his love, his compassion, his concern for people. Now, I'm going to say this. I've said it before. I'm going to say it today. I'm going to say it again. You are not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by believing that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you, that his blood paid for your sins, that he rose again, that he took his blood to heaven, put it on that mercy seat. He paid for your sin. That's how you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith. But you are rewarded in heaven for what you do. You're going to be rewarded for what you do. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. To give to everyone according to his works. Right? 2 Timothy 1.9. It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. Romans 7.4. Now you belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might be useful, in order that we might be useful in the service of God. God saved you from your sin, but he saved you to his kingdom, to be his representative, all right, to show his compassion, his love, his kindness, his concern for people. That's why Jesus said, let your, let, let, so let your, your good works be seen, your light shine, that people see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're called from sin into the kingdom of God as his representative to show God's love, God's concern for people. Right? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And that needs to be the same attitude that you and I have. And then our fifth purpose that we've looked at is one of Jesus' first commandments. In fact, is the first commandment that Jesus gave after his resurrection which was go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Proverbs, it says, he who wins souls is wise. Jesus had a mission. He said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. And he said in John 17, he said, in the same way that you gave a mission, me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Jesus' mission was to seek and save that which was lost. That is our mission as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to God. You know, we are here as God's representatives. The greatest thing that you or I can ever do is share the truth of the gospel with them. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus is the only one who can save people. Buddha cannot save people. Krishna cannot save people. Muhammad cannot save people. Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. And we must be saved through him. There is not another way. He is the only way. And we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us, for the night is coming, and then no one can work. 
So we, we need to recognize we have a chance to do something that is going to last forever. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 where the Bible makes this statement. It says, if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Now that, that may sound like, what's that even doing in the Bible? It's not talking about trees. It's talking about people. Right? And it says, when a person falls, when a person dies, they're sealed for all eternity. They're either right with God or they're not right with God. And so many people have the idea. You know, when I, get, when I die, if I see, you know, I'm going to stand before God and I'll say, God, if I, if I wasn't, if I didn't make it, I'll just say, God, I'm so sorry. You know, I just didn't know. Uh, you know, you just give me another chance. I'm, I'm going to do it right. I'm so sorry. And they think they're going to negotiate. But where the tree falls, there it will lie. It says in Hebrews 2 that the children, that's talking about you and me, partook of flesh and blood. So he himself likewise partook of the same. Jesus came in a flesh and blood body just like yours. And then it says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus redeems you in a flesh and blood body. And you can only receive what he did for you as long as you live in a flesh and blood body. The moment your body dies and you step out, you're sealed for all of eternity. There's no negotiating. There's no coming back as a cow. It's appointed for a man to die once. And after that, the judgment. So often we think that, that there's going to be a second chance, that this is kind of like a dress, dress rehearsal. No, this is it. This is it. The psalmist said, send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all of mankind. God's got one plan for every purpose, person. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, he said, you know, if there's another way to save people, do it. He said, but not my will. You know, this can pass from me. If there's another way, let's do it another way. But there was only one way. And Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because you and I owed a debt we could not pay. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Again, it's in 2 Corinthians. It says, we're Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. And if you're here today and you're away from the Lord or you don't know where you stand with God or you know you're not right with God, I want you to listen. I believe today that I'm God's ambassador and I'm speaking to you for him. And this is what Paul said. He said, we beg you as if Christ himself were here pleading with you. If Jesus was personally here, he would beg you, and I am begging you. And this is what it says. Jesus would say, receive the love he offers you and be reconciled to God. If someone gave you a present and you never opened it, it would do you no good. And all that Jesus did for you will not do you any good unless you receive the gift that he offers you. And that gift is Jesus. To as many as receive him, it's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to even believe that he came and died and rose. But to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. 
And I beg you today to be reconciled with God. Now, if you need to get right with God today, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. I want you to lift your hand then, and we're going to pray. God's going to hear that prayer. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Your past is going to be gone. You're going to be a new person on the inside. You're going to be a part of God's family on your way to heaven. Now, this is what you need to know. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. You can't be good enough. My way will not get me to God. I can't be good enough. There's one way, and that's Jesus. And as you lift your hand today, you're saying this, first of all. You're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And I know there's one Savior, and that's Jesus. And I'm coming to Him today to be saved, to be forgiven. One, when you lift your hand, you're saying, today, I'm going to turn my back on my old life and stop living to please myself. I'm going to receive Jesus, and I'm going to live for Him every day. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Two, now get ready. When you lift your hand, you're saying, today, by faith, I'm receiving Jesus. I hear His call. And I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to wash me in his blood. He's going to forgive me. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. And I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, lift your hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not where I should be. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. And that hand. And that hand. And that hand. And another. And another. 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 Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? All right. Right here. Thank you. All right. Way in the back. Thank you. Now, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Now, if you lifted your hand, I want you to look right at me. Would you please grab your purse, your Bible, the person you came with, your coat, whatever you have, and make your way over to the aisle and make your way right down here. I'm going to come down. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here. Right here. Give them a hand as they come, would you please? Thank you. From the back, up in the balcony, if you can make your way down, please come on down. God bless you. Now, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, come on. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is your day. All right. Now, Romans 10, verse 13. This is your verse. Listen. Whosoever, that means you. This is going to work for you and for you and for you and you. This is going to work for every one of you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And God's promise to you is will be saved. All that you need to do is pray this prayer from your heart. Whosoever, that's you. We'll call on the name of the Lord. We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And God's promise is we'll be saved. So I want you to open your heart and pray this prayer from your heart. And when we say amen, listen, your past is gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be new on the inside. Right? You're going to be a part of God's family. All right. Would you bow your heads? Everybody, take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray with everybody. Make these words your own. Just say, oh God, 
I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin. That my past is gone. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your family. On my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.